It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Rich Scanlon, CEO of Workspace, his third CEO assignment. Most recently, Rich was CEO of ImageQuicks and Photolinks, both ASG companies, a part of Alpine Investors. Prior to that, he was Director of Business Development at Medallia, a leading customer experience management SaaS company. Early in his career, Rich was CEO of RPM Worldwide, one of the largest private concert marketing and promotion companies on the East Coast. He started his business career as a management consultant at the Boston Consulting Group. Rich received his MBA from the Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania, and prior to receiving his MBA, Rich played five years in the National Football League as a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs, Tennessee Titans, and New York Giants. Rich completed his undergraduate studies at Syracuse University, where he graduated magna cum laude and was captain of the football team. Rich Scanlon, welcome into the corner office. Hey, Brent. Thanks for having me. Uh, good to have you here today. And uh, thank you for your patience. We had a couple of technical glitches a couple of weeks ago, but I think we got them ironed out today. And uh, so looking forward to this conversation. And, uh, you know, we usually start at the beginning, and that's uh, understanding a little bit about you and kind of where you grew up, your early family life. Tell us a little bit about that. Where'd you grow up? What mom and dad do, brothers and sisters, that kind of thing? Yep. I grew up, um, so I'm an East Coaster. Mm. Uh, Grew up in the New York area. My mother's from the Bronx, New York, and my father's from upstate New York, the Buffalo area. Right. Um, you know, a son of you know Irish and Italian immigrants, much like most people in that typical area. union. <laughs> yeah, typical New York, New Jersey, you know, kind of background. Um, yeah, like I said, grew up outside the city, you know, for most of my life. Right. Um, you know, family's kind of all over the place. I got a, a brother and a sister, uh, both younger. Uh, settled in New Jersey, okay. um, family retired to the Jersey Shore. So very, very typical, you know, um, kind of, you know, roots in the in the Northeast. I actually relocated to Raleigh. So yeah. you know, my mother disowned me for about six months. When I <laughs> then she came down and visited and liked it. Yeah. Yeah. An Italian built, you know. <laughs> what were mom and dad's careers? Uh, so my mom was a teacher. Okay. Um, you know, she did uh, various kinds of like teaching jobs. Uh, and my father uh, was a actually she retired working for the state government helping elderly people. Yeah. So she, she taught early on in her career, then kind of worked for the state of New York, um, helping uh, elderly folks you know find jobs and and get social services. Uh, father was a um, was an executive on the operation side in the cosmetic and beauty industry, working oh, for cool. Ritz, Revlon, yeah. 
um, you know, very anti, I mean, he's very much, you know, blue collar guy, but he found himself, you know, wearing a suit and tie every day and wow. was pretty good at it. So he did a lot of supply chain stuff in, in the beauty industry, um, retired a few years ago, both parents retired, you know, living the dream at the beach right now. Love it. Awesome. And what about your uh, school days? Pretty good student in school or loved the things you loved and didn't like yeah. other stuff? I would say I enjoyed school, which was yeah. probably different than most kids, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I enjoyed school, um, you know, was lucky enough to be able to go to, um, you know, a really good, you know, private high school in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, a lot of that had to do with, you know, athletics as well. But uh, but yeah, always enjoyed school. Um, I was a physiology major in undergrad, so really had nothing to do with business. Right. Uh, I thought I was going to go into the medical profession, um, but my early career, you know, uh, steered me in another direction. But always enjoyed school. Um, didn't think I would go back to get a master's degree, but as life has it, you know, that's what I ended up doing. Right. So right. always was a, a fan of, of of going to school, going to class, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, Learning has always been fun for me. Furthering education, yeah. What about entrepreneurial activities? Anything you did as a kid that uh, you know you've uh, tapped into now in your uh, serial entrepreneurship, which we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> well, I guess like nothing in my early childhood. I think sports has a lot to do with yeah. kind of risk taking and entrepreneurial spirit. You know, when you're a football player, at least professionally, you're an independent contractor. I guess right. Don't realize that like contracts yeah. are structured is like you're basically you know, your own company, 99 kind of employee, right. and you're an independent right. contractor and you yeah. get hired, fired, you know, at the drop of a hat, I'm sure everyone's familiar with hard knocks, but, uh, that taught me a lot about resiliency and just kind right. of like, just try and get up and fall down. And, you know, failure never bothered me and risk-taking never bothered me in the business world. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, kind of the, the harsh reality of, of playing sports. Very any, uh, any, any jobs in junior high school, high school that were formative for you? I worked at a physical therapy clinic from oh, when cool. I was 15. My mom had to take me to like the state labor board to get like a work permit since wow. I was like, 16. Yeah. So I was working since a very long age and I worked at a physical therapy clinic and that's pretty much what I did through high school. Um, and then playing sports in college, I worked at like an office building. I think I delivered papers. So did a whole bunch of odds and ends jobs, you know, between uh, between high school and college. But yeah. uh, physical therapy clinic is where I cut my teeth in the working world. Well, we want to get into your early career as a uh, professional football player in a minute. But tell us a little bit about how that began for you. Were you kind of, did you do Pop Warner? Did you get involved in football as a kid? You know, when did that become an interest? Second grade. First Second grade. I put cool. on the helmet. Wow. I think that, that probably seems crazy in today's world, but in yeah. second grade, I put on the helmet. Uh, I think that was in 1988. Seven, eight years old? How old are you? Yeah. must have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was around, old. yeah, probably eight years old. Yeah. Uh, actually, seven, 1988. Right. Fall, right. Yeah, I was seven years old. So, And then I turned in my last helmet in February of 2009. <laughs> so I think that's like 21 or 22 years. That's a lot of years. Did, yeah. did mom and dad kind of lead you down that road? Did you have friends? You know, what was kind of the impetus to put that helmet on at, at the ripe age of seven? So the, the urban legend is, is that <laughs> my parents put down like three or four different like sports balls when I was like two years old. Right. And always gravitated towards the football. Right. Ever right. since I was a little kid, I just gravitated towards that. And my father said when I, when he would 
watch like football on Saturdays and Sundays. I was like three years old. He's like, I just put you in front of the TV and you wouldn't move. For, wouldn't like, move. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? You know, all of the other balls are shaped round. I wonder if it had something to do with the shape of the ball and your curiosity. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I would like to think something like that, but I think I just enjoyed the the hitting part of it. <laughs> so right, if I wanted to right. be honest about my primal instincts, it was probably more of that than the shape of and wearing the helmet. I think I really liked wearing like the equipment. Yeah. It was always a yeah. thing for me when I was younger. So that's awesome. So yeah, cool. it got me from a very young age. So so at seven, what what was was it Pop Warner the equivalent? What you know yeah, what it was did you Pop Warner? Yeah, so that yeah. was that was a thing back then. Right. It was Pop Warner. Uh and then obviously high school. Um right you know, lucky enough to play in college at a, yeah. at a good school. And then, uh, then, yeah. And my, my theory with football was like, I'm going to keep going until they tell me to stop <laughs> any aspirations of, or goals of trying to make it to the next level. You know, I always wanted to get a scholarship to college because my parents told me, you know, then they could afford a car maybe for me if I got there you go. There a scholarship. You go. So, so yeah, never really kind of sat down and said, you know, playing professional is my goal. I just wanted to keep playing till I couldn't anymore. And, you know, that's what ended up happening. So, 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 so you played through high school. You said you went to a, a private high school. Did you compete against other boarding schools or private schools in the area? And yeah, you know, we competed against both public and yeah. private. I went right. to Bergen Catholic high school. If anyone's familiar with like the New York, New Jersey area, yeah. um, pretty, uh, pretty well-known school for football. Uh, put out a couple of professional guys. So yeah, we would play a mix of, of public and private schools. I mean, back then it wasn't so much, uh, you know, the factories they are now. Right. It was very much balanced. Like, you know, we lost to a public school team, I think my second or third year there. But uh, yeah. but yeah, I had a, had a great, uh, great experience there. And I go back often and stay heavily involved. Awesome. So Syracuse undergrad, were you, were you recruited? Did you get yes. a scholarship there? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Full scholarship to Syracuse. And nice. back then, believe it or not, they were very good at football. Um, it pains me to, to say that, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was the era of Donovan McNabb and Dwight Freeney yeah. and, you know, BCS bowls and, you know, Syracuse was, uh, was a big deal and right. uh, hopefully they'll get back there one day, but, uh, but yeah, full scholarship there. Was Played lucky. all four years. Yeah, four year letter winner. I redshirted my first year, so I was there about four and a half years. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, parlayed that to. Um, I basically made the the Kansas City Chiefs as a as a walk on in, in wow. relative terms because I was uh, um, only seven rounds in the draft, so I call myself yeah. an eighth round draft pick. Got it. Got so, it. Right. Uh, so yeah, made the team. Was on the practice squad for a few for the first part of the year, and then got elevated to the to the main roster and my rookie year and kind of didn't look back for the next few years. Awesome. Awesome. So about five years it played, started in Kansas city, went to Tennessee for a minute, right? How long were you down there? Yep. I had uh, played in Tennessee for about a season yep. and then I uh, had a cup of coffee in New York. That's what that's, that's the term we use when you're there for a couple of weeks, had a cup of coffee in New York <laughs> the Giants, um, the, in the 2008 season. So finished off against the, in the playoffs in 2009. Um, did a short stint in NFL Europe. I played one season in NFL Europe in Berlin. Where I met was that was that after the Giants? No, that was okay, in between my first and second years playing. Yeah. So I was there in 2005. So in between my rookie year and my second year, right. I went over there and played in the spring. The Chiefs, I mean, the Chiefs love the league is like a more of a developmental league where they sent younger right. players. So, right. um, so went over there and you know met my now wife of 14 years. Ah, awesome. Um, so very fond of my time there. I love Berlin and. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of, you know, came back and, you know, played a couple more years and, you know, 
then I had to get a real job. <laughs> when did you know or, or think that you, it was time to hang up the helmet, so to speak? So that's a great question. And it's, I mean, I have a very clear in my mind. It was, it was late January, 2009. The NFL does a program at, uh, at a bunch of the business schools where it's kind of like executive coaching yeah. workshops, things like that. So they do it at like HBS, Wharton, Kellogg, Stanford. They, they send different national uh, football players. Yeah, to yeah, those yeah, you apply oh, and then yeah. like about 30 guys get, in, get, you know, get accepted and you get, you get to sit down with, you know, you get to do seminars with the professors at the schools and things like that. So right. I knew the writing was on the wall for my football career. You know, I didn't want to be one of those guys who kind of bounced around to, you know, city to city. I had, you yeah. know, I had just gotten married and, you know, kind of wanted to settle down a bit. So I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Decided to try out this NFL program. I got into the one at Wharton. Um, didn't think I'd like it. Told myself I was never going back to school. Ended up doing the three-day seminar and loving it. And that's yeah. really Wait, great. They, in, the, in the Saul Steinberg Center there? Did they yes. Have exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I did my uh, executive education there. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Hall. So got to meet a lot of great professors who were yeah. super influential yeah. and the best piece of advice. I got two pieces of advice when I went there that was kind of profound in my career. One is NFL like experience will get you the first interview. It won't get you the second hmm. that kind of hit me in the face. Yep. And then the second thing that someone told me is because I was thinking about going to business school and one of the professors told me just like, this might sound bad, but this is what she told me. She said, if you're going to go to business school, if you don't get into a top 10 school, you probably shouldn't go if you're looking to switch careers. Yeah, it's true. No, <laughs> so absolutely. I was as a recruiter, I can verify that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good you know, So, Good so leaving that, I thought, okay, I really have no job prospects because I have NFL on my resume. Yeah. So I'm going to get one interview, but not a job. And then if I can't get into one of these schools, you know, I really got no shot to get a new career. So, you know, I better get my act together. So it was really a pivot for you, right? I mean, it was an opportunity it to was. restart it was. your uh, career. Yeah, awesome. It was. Awesome. So it was yeah. very influential in my decision to kind yeah. of, you know, put the brakes on on football uh, for a little bit. Uh, was it hard? Was that a hard hard call, Rich, at that stage? It was and wasn't. Yeah. You know, I tend to think I'm a pretty focused guy. So once I've kind of done something, I kind of go on to the next thing. Right. It wasn't that hard. It was a necessity for me. So I yeah. viewed it as more of like a survival thing than a, than a choice. I yeah. kind of didn't have a choice. Yeah. So yeah. after that, got back, started studying for the GMAT, did my research on things. NFL helped me get an internship at Merrill Lynch just to kind of learn the business acumen. Cause like I had mentioned before, like I was a physiology major. Right. Right. I studied yeah, yeah. like pre-med stuff, science. Right. I knew nothing right. about business. Yeah. So, um, Funny enough, when I applied to business school, they you have to submit a resume, and right. I didn't know how to do that. So I'm in <laughs> Barnes and Nobles, looking, looking up, at resume books. They have these, they have you know, just like computers for dummies and things like that. Like I was looking sure. for resume for dummies, right? Looking right. for examples of like athletes who wrote resumes. So you know, I always tell people when they ask, you know, because the, the you know the the stereotype is you know athletes aren't you know you know that in, intellectual. And I, what I would tell them, it's like, it's not that we're dumb. We just don't know. Yeah. You know? Right. Like, so it's a, it's a knowledge uh, break. Yeah, It's right? a knowledge yeah. thing. It's not an yeah. intelligence thing. So, right. you know, that's, that put me on my journey and, you know, I still worked out, you know, ho maybe hoping to get a call and I did for the giants to go back for a couple of weeks. But by that point I was all in on, on yeah. going back to school and yeah. actually on my way to Penn 
to start my first day of school, I got a call from the Detroit Lions. Mm. And it's kind of like one of my regrets. My only regret in life is that I didn't go back. Didn't so the Lions it. asked me to go yeah. to training camp. I'm on the bus to Penn. And I just said, like, that part of my life is over. I'm done. You made a choice. Yeah. yeah. So there's a small part of me that's like, man, what I wonder would have happened. <laughs> I wonder what would happened if I would have just told, you know, Penn to wait a semester. Right. right. So there's a small part of me that thinks about that. But but overall, you know, it was the right life decision for me. And, uh, you know, made the of, commitment. No yeah, regrets. Yeah. Started the second part of my career. basically. Awesome. Well, let's talk about that in a minute. But just looking back at those five years with uh, the NFL, what, you know, you made an interesting comment earlier on about being an independent contractor, you know, and you had to learn to kind of be a businessman. You, you were your own brand. And, and if you, if you had to kind of distill some of the lessons that you learned during those four or five years, that's helped you towards your career, what would those be, Rich? Understanding taxes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Very key um, in those first know, jobs. As an independent contractor, they don't teach you, you learn very fast about, you know, all the different tax laws and things you have to yeah. do with taxes. And if you're not setting that money aside, you know, yeah, at the exactly. end of the year, it's that's a lot due. of financial management, I think, mm. because NFL players don't get paid year round. They get paid within a 17 week time frame. Right. Um, right. So you have to like cash manage, you know, for like a teacher plan. in that regard. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. learning cash management, financial strategies, tax strategies, um, all very, very important parts of like, surviving as a as as someone who gets paid in kind of an irregular way and then also understanding business opportunities learning how to evaluate you know different business opportunities they come along obviously you get proposed a lot of different things and sure. you know understanding kind of you know uh, what's what to look for what to what to avoid um, also understanding all of the different tools there are you know out there as a young person like I'm 22 years old 23 yeah, years old, right. you get a lot of exposure to, you know, things in the financial markets you typically wouldn't, you know, as someone just out of college. So, you know, really got a crash course on a lot of financial like, kind of acumen that. You did you have mentors or did the NFL provide any kind of guidance or advisory services in that regard? They try. And I yeah. think they've done a much better job of like offering kind of services. But my attitude on that has been like, I'm an adult, you know? Yeah. Right. They're paying right. you like an adult. You have a job. You know, they're not doing that stuff to, you know, if you're a first year, you know, working as a, you know, you know PR analyst or a banking right. analyst or whatever, they're right. not offering all this stuff to you. So sure. I didn't lean too heavily on that. I went, figured it out. Yeah. yeah I led, I mean, I, I, I lent heavily on my agent, um, you know, a financial advisor that I had at the time. My parents, you know, I was lucky enough to have two right. very, very supportive parents who were successful. So leaned on them a lot. So yeah. it was a lot of, you know, trial by fire and learning in those early years and getting exposure to things that not a lot of 22, 23, 24 year old kids get exposure to sure. when it comes to, you know, being a professional in the, in the business world. Yeah. Have you tapped on some of those learnings and uh, successive jobs and your entrepreneurial career since then? Yeah, I think um, not so much the quantitative, a lot of yeah. qualitative things. Right. You know, a big piece of advice that I got when I was playing, you know, you'd worry about like who was getting playing time, who was getting the credit and mm. not. And a big piece of advice that I got is control the things you can control. Right. And I think right. that's one of the biggest things I've taken with me, you know, to the C-suite and running businesses is 
you cannot get worked up about what everybody else yeah. around you is going to do Don't because they're going to do it regardless of whether you get anxiety about it or not. <laughs> right, right. You know, right. you can control your own products. You can control your own services. You can control who you hire. You can control how you spend your money. Like that stuff I can control. Yeah. I, I can't control what everybody else is doing. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking about don't it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And that's been that's something cool. that I've taken with me everywhere I've gone. And it's awesome. served me really, really well, especially when it comes to executing like business strategy, you right. know, or go to market strategy or, or any kind of strategy where you've made a decision on what you need to do without distraction. Right. And that's been kind of the biggest thing is, is worry about the things you can control and everything else. You just got to let it happen. Yeah, cool. So a couple of years at Wharton, great school, and then a couple of internships, right? You did Merrill Lynch and then a BCG internship from what I gather. And yeah. then you got hired by BCG. So so tell us about that choice as your first job coming out, first full-time job coming out of college. So BCG is a great extension of business school, I think, to someone like yeah. me who's never yeah. had like a traditional business, business job. training, yeah. Um, right. You know, one of the top consulting firms in the world, you know, full of brilliant, nice people who want to help you learn. So BCG is is a part of my career that I hold very, very fondly because yeah. people I met and the opportunity I got at a very young, inexperienced age and in, in, in working with, you know, you know, very big businesses, very big problems. Um, BCG was an awesome experience. I think for me. And I think every job I've had, I've learned a little bit about myself and what is important to me in my career. I think being at BCG, uh, the biggest thing I kind of learned about myself and what I was looking for is I wanted to go faster. Hmm. BCG is a very big place, works with very big clients. So the pace of play in terms of career progression is very, very kind of <laughs> defined. Right. And right. I think for someone like me who... I found myself being much more entrepreneurial in the fact that I wanted to take a little bit more risk in decision-making in business. I wanted to have more say in kind of, you know, not only the, like what was decided, but actually executing on decisions. Hmm. Um, and I didn't have a ton of patience. Yeah. And those are things that weren't necessarily great qualities. <laughs> I learned to have them, you know, as I got older, but like immediately out of school, I thought I knew more than I did, obviously. Um, but BCG was a great place um, and a place that I think of very, very fondly. I wouldn't be where I am today without them. Um, but yeah, I found myself being gravitating to more smaller business type of things, mm. like more of a hectic environment, um, a little bit more risk taking. So that's kind of how I've kind of made my decisions. It's like, okay, hey, how can I get to, you know, basically the way I just thought about it in terms of sports, I always equate everything to sports. It's like, right. If we win, it's going to be on my shoulders. And if we lose, it's going to be on me. So if we're going to lose, I want it to be on me. I want that responsibility. So I was always looking for things where that gave me an opportunity to do that. Yeah. You use the word nice when you describe the BCG people. And, and you know, I've interviewed a lot of folks from McKinsey and Booz Allen. Didn't hear that word a lot. So, so tell us a little bit about that. What, what was it about the people there that was different? I just found them to be genuinely caring people hmm. who were... And each consulting firm, I think, has their own kind of culture. Yeah, culture, <laughs> I guess, is the best way to put it. BCG, they're the nice, smart people. I would. Yeah. Uh, that's how I would describe BCG, you yeah. know, in terms of their culture. They're the very nice, very smart people. Um, cared about their employees a lot. I don't know the other consulting firms, so it's no uh, indictment on them. But I just knew right. the BCG people. And 
they just are very nice and smart. Yeah. That's the best way I would describe it. <laughs> I love it. Culture BCG, nice and smart. And did you were you did you go to Boston and work for them there, or were you in no, the Philadelphia area? No, I actually New was York. one of the early employees at the New Jersey office. New Jersey, okay, cool. Which is now I think their fifth biggest office, like yeah. in the U.S. or something like that. The place has exploded. Um, but we kind of were a satellite office in New York, so I worked a right. lot for New York and New Jersey folks. Now, did you have people responsibility there, or did that come did later? Not, did yeah. not have people okay. responsibility. And much like most consulting firms, it's case by case basis. Case by case, yeah. So the Working teams change, clients. and that yeah. was one of the things that I I found difficult. Right, obviously, I'm a team guy. Played right. a lot of sports. If I find a team that I like, I don't want to change it. But the general nature of consulting is your team is going to change every six months, whether you like it or not. <laughs> obviously, the more senior you get, the more say you have. But uh, but me, I use that word impatient. Me being impatient, I wasn't willing to wait four years, five years, whatever it was, until yeah. yeah. you know, I could pick my own team. So, what was the first job when you started managing people, Rich? Uh, the next job I had after that, which was mm-hmm. working as the COO of a small concert promotion company oh, uh, cool. called RPM. Yeah. Um, were, were they a client of BCG or what? No, they were not. So yeah. this is a very close friend of mine who started off, you know, in the nightclub business, worked his way up, you know, and developed a very kind of profitable and large concert promotion company. And he was looking for ways to expand and professionalize the business. Obviously, you know, there, there's there's a certain culture, obviously, working, you know, like in nightlife and concert sure. working oh, yeah. in CG. So he wanted to add a little bit of, you know, uh, you know, more professional professionalism approach to right. business. And, you know, he was a close friend of mine. He was also looking to potentially look at potential acquirers within the next 12 months. So I said, hey, like, let's do this and yeah. see if we can get the business, you know, growing and, you know, see if we can get you another shot at exiting the business. So what were some of the, yeah. What were some of the challenges you had in, in, so, in taking over leadership? Yeah. So one is being, you know, I guess I don't know if nerd's the right word, but being an outsider in a very, very close knit community, right. you know, people who work in nightlife and concerts and music, um, it's a, it's obviously a very different group than very different football yeah. or working at ECG yeah. and consulting right. for some big bank. So having to, you know, get credibility was probably mm. the biggest thing for me is how could I deliver credibility and get respect from them? You know, not just because of like my relationship with the boss, quote unquote, but how can I develop, like, how can I show my worth and prove my worth to people? Um, that was the thing I was primarily concerned with is is gaining their respect, because as we all know, like a ball, like a manager that you respect, a manager that delivers results, a manager that shows that he cares about you or she, um, you know, tend to get the best performance out of their people. Sure, so how'd that you, was how'd really you, my most important thing. Were you How'd you do it, and were you successful in doing so? Um, so I would say we were successful in, in like our financial like goals and outcomes. Okay. We I can't remember the the output. I mean, we grew the business probably 40 percent. Um, we introduced a lot of new processes that gained efficiencies. Um, you know, he actually did get some people to come back to the table. Um, and make some offers. I mean, ultimately, I left before that came to a conclusion because the other right. thing I figured out in that job is working with friends can be very, very hard. Um, <laughs> right, right. So we decided, you know, after it was a little after a year, about a year since I'd been there, that like, hey, I think it's time. You know, this has run its course. You know, the the, the mission accomplished in terms of professionalizing the business, showing them new ways to make money. 
you know, I felt like I did that. We felt like we did that. So I would say overall mission accomplished. Right. Um, but it just, the other thing that I figured out in that job is like, it's not worth, you know, putting, you know, friendships, yeah. you know, um, after business. So that was the priority for me and, you know, decided to, you know, to, to look for, for other opportunities and got lucky with, uh, with Medallia, which was yeah, Medallia. So tell us about it. You spent about three years there. What, what was their, uh, business promise? So, I think for me, again, loved like working in the concert business. I one uh, things I found out about myself that I confirmed: love small business, mm-hmm. so loved being in that fast-paced environment, making yeah. decisions, going fast, and I really loved technology. Mm. So I loved like the tech side of the business. I worked with the ticketing vendors, I worked with the scanners and security and things like that. So really loved tech. And one of the contacts I had made at Penn during my recruiting, he had become the head of HR basically at Medallia, yeah. which is consumer exp- customer experience company, venture backed right. by Sequoia um, way back when. Um, they actually I, they've managed to IPO and then go back like, go back private, private, you know, since I've left. Right. Um, but very successful company. I think when I they had just received like a series. C or D round, and I got a phone call, and they were looking for like professional people to to be in the organization to help yeah. with account management and things like that. Um, jumped at the opportunity. Uh, I think it was employee like three fifty over there. Um, got and and you made a move, right? Did you move to the West I Coast? I did. Yeah. So yeah. I moved yeah. to to Palo Alto for yeah. a year. I think right. that was one of the big like one of the big points was that they made it super accommodating for me to kind of live by coastally so pretty much left the wife and kid you know in new jersey um by that time i had a daughter um we realized it was a big opportunity was willing to make the sacrifice to kind of go back and forth so you know i would be i would probably go back and forth every other weekend for about a year between new york and san francisco um that was hard but it was well worth it after a year at medallia in, in palo alto helped open up their new york office here um, you know, in New York City and Midtown. So was able to come back home, but really, really loved, you know, being part of that environment. Yeah. I think the, the revenue went from 20 million to 200 million. Awesome. You know, really one of those rare unicorns that actually like, you know, fulfilled a lot of the promise. So just really love that opportunity, learned a ton about tech and how to run a technology business, um, made a lot of good connections. And then, yeah, Alpine came calling with the chance to become a CEO at, yeah. oh gosh, what was it? 30, hell, I don't know, what, 36? I was 36 yeah. or 37. Yeah. Chance to become yeah. a CEO. And and that was really something I couldn't turn down. So again- How'd you get how'd you get on their radar screen? Did you know? Um, they were, so they had bought a tech, a small tech business in New Jersey and they were looking for, they were looking to give an opportunity to someone as a first time CEO, someone who had like traditional SaaS experience in the New York area. And I got recruited directly by, you know, one of the partners there now to, to run the business. Um, So got recruited directly into a company called CSF, which was the Alpine software group, which is kind of the investment um, kind of thesis or um, strategy that, Alpine is is undertaking the SaaS world. It was their very first company, so wow. uh, got to be the first CEO at the you know in the the first company for Alpine Software Group, um, which at, you know, at the ripe age of thirty three. Yeah, at the right yeah, yeah the ripe age of like <laughs> whatever it was. 
And uh, then did that company sell? Switch? Yes, that company yeah. we exited successfully two and a half yeah. years in, closed that transaction to a strategic investor right. in August of 2019. I then decided, to, we both, ASG and me, decided to run it back for a second time with a company called ImageQuicks, right. which is in the uh, photography e-commerce space. Started there in January of 17. Um, you know, we weathered the COVID storm, came out of it, gangbusters, um, really developed a really awesome business there. And we just exited that business uh, September. A few months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah September right. of, yeah. of this year. Yeah. And now I'm going for, you know, third bite at the apple. If Trifecta. That <laughs> um, workspace. So yeah. really love the people at Alpine. There's, it's a great strategy. We've had a couple of really good outcomes. I really love you know, that part of running a business is just the, you know, the, the growth aspect of it, you know, right. the exit aspect of it. I just love the, the action, I guess, is the best way to put it, because I tend to do these things kind of fast. You know, tell you know, us about workspace. What, 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 you know, what's the promise there? So I think for workspace, it's commercial real estate software, obviously yeah. a very kind of tried and true industry um, along many fronts. But our, our big kind of impetus is on the digital payment side of things. Mm. And we've heard this a lot, obviously, during the pandemic. But this is really one of the the few industries that still relies a lot on paper checks yeah, to do right. a lot of their yeah. business. And yeah. with the advancements, yeah, so digital transformation. So I'm always looking right. for opportunities where there's digital transformation. It's hard because the way I always describe it is you're selling two things, right? You're selling the idea of doing something digitally that you were doing something that was being done in an analog fashion. Right. And then the second thing you're doing is trying to convince people that your product is the right one to use. <laughs> right, right. Um, but usually if you can pull it off, the, uh, the fruits of the labor are, are pretty, are pretty significant. So, so that's what we're really doing here at workspace, right? Really have a nice base and kind of our core software and property management, but really trying to lean in on the, the digital transformation on the payment side of the business. How big is the team today? Team is relatively small. Yeah. Um, we're about twenty folks right now. Right. Um, you know, but the great thing about software, this is what I tell people all the time, is like I could have twenty people in my company. Yeah. Be yeah, but five million bucks, or it could yeah. be fifty million. It's <laughs> a great thing about software yeah. is that you right. don't need a lot of people to touch, you know, a, a big portion of the universe, which is which very is efficient. Good. Yeah. And but the company's based out in California, is that right? So Correct, are you commuting yeah. back and forth? Yeah. How's that? Company's work? in Irvine, California. Yeah. So yeah, I go back and forth. Te team's been fully remote since the pandemic, right. so they're not really even hybrid. There's a couple of people that go into the office, but most folks are remote. So it's allowing me to run the business from Raleigh, um, and I go out there probably you know half a dozen times a year. Yeah. Well, now as your third CEO, uh, you know, opportunity, how would you say your leadership style has evolved over that, you know, these last three projects? So uh, I, I mentioned that word impatience when I was at BCG. Mm. I think patience is now uh, <laughs> up front um, yeah. when it comes to handling situations. And I think I've taken a lot of the emotion out of um, kind of the way I've, you know, progressed and handled, you know, people, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're early on in your career, I think you like for me personally, it was a lot of like, well, everything's my responsibility. So if you don't do it my way, then, you know, I'm going to be you get know, out of the way. Yeah, yeah I'm going to be put at risk. So now <laughs> right. I'm much more an enabler, much more of a coacher. Mm. I think like I trust people a lot more. Um, 
and like I give advice to now people who are who are starting in their careers, it's like there's a reason, you know, we pay people. There's a reason, you know, they have the job that they have and we got to trust them to do their job. You know, mm. I, I, for, I, I went from trying to manage the day to day um, closely to really focusing on being an enabler and hiring really well. Mm. So I'm a firm believer now if you if you hire great people, it makes your job as a leader so much easier and you can provide so much more fulfillment to them and yourself and your own career if you're able to to hire well and build build great teams. So that's really what I focus on. What do you look for when you're making bets on those people you invest in and hire at Workspace? So that's a great question. I think it depends on what we're looking for. Yeah. I think I'm looking for someone to um, not always have all the answers, but to understand how to navigate all types of situations. Mm. Because inevitably, you're not going to know something or you're going to be asked you know, a question that you don't know or... Um, you know, we might not like the answer as, as hirers, but you got to be able to handle like, like uncertainty and change. Yeah, you got <laughs> to, right. you got to be able to handle like being knocked off your game. And I think yeah. people who are able to do that in a calm manner and are well prepared, that's the other thing. Like there's no excuse to not be prepared. Right. And I think that's what we look for a lot. in people are like, are they coming prepared? You know, can they, can they listen I think in today's world, people come with their narratives and they just want to like stay focused on what they've rehearsed mm. and they don't listen. You know, like if I ask you a direct question, I'm expecting a direct answer. And there's right. so many people today that can't do that. Yeah. So if you're able to prepare and answer questions directly and listen, you're going to be in great shape. <laughs> right. Right. What do you, um, do you, do you look for people with previous startup experience? Is that important? You know, now that you've done three of these. No, I got to be honest with you. Um, yeah. I prefer people who are more of a blank slate who show yeah. lots of potential right. because you can do two things there. So one is it gives them, I think it gives them a higher ceiling in terms of, um, potential. And you're also able to influence, you know, their development. And that's something that's super important to me as someone who like longs to be a high school football coach. Yeah. I prefer people who, you know, are still trying to figure it out in terms mm -hmm. of like career direction, um, experience, you know, things like that, obviously for certain like senior roles, like you make it like, that's not always going to work. But if I had to pick someone with five years experience that, you know, was, you know, was kind of set in their ways, you know, but kind of did the job well versus someone who has a year experience who I has great potential, I'm picking, I'm picking the riskier one every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah makes good sense um so and that's that's my own career right i see right sure. people who you tend to hire and gravitate to tend to be a mirror of your own self yeah. at certain points so you know that's worked for me so i'm going to stick with it yeah what about company culture you know ceos talk about the importance of that and you've got a remote workforce we all learned how to work so much more remotely during the pandemic um how do you build that culture how do you you know, communicate that? What are the things that you do that let everybody know, hey, this is what we do around here and this is why it's important? So this is my first company fully remote. Hmm. Every other company I've been in has been in, in off, I call it an right. in-office culture. Right. So it's very, the challenges are very, very different. Yeah. Me, I'm very much, I like, I'm a firm believer in like team chemistry. Like define hmm. that how you will, but I think people who are comfortable with each other, know each other, um, 
you know, spend time together, they're more effective working together. Yeah. I think if your job requires a lot of interaction with other people, fostering that type of chemistry is super important. And also I understand being in a software company, you know, you have a lot of individual contributors where that's not so much of a big deal. So I think for me, the thing I try to stress with folks is kind of regular cadence of interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, what I always try to avoid is like the rolling out of bed, deciding to do X or Y today instead of doing kind of the same right. thing every day. So yeah. I ask my team for a lot of predictability, a lot of communication, um, and then a, a regular cadence of getting together in person, whether that's once a quarter or every other month. Um, and then I try to be as visible as possible too. You know, yeah. whether that's hosting town halls or you know, right. I always I'm a big guy on. I got this gift one year of it was like a calendar with like a fun fact every day and I started posting it in Slack. So I do it on this day fact now every day for the past four years where, you know, we just throw out a fun fact of the day. So I try to do as many things as I try to stay visible, encourage kind of regular cadence of communication and then some kind of cadence of, of like interpersonal, like interaction. Yes. Awesome. Do you have a favorite interview question that you like to ask? If so, would you share it with us? Uh, yeah. Um, I actually have a couple. Uh, so one is, what are you looking for in your next role? Because hmm. I think people who are clear about what they want, it helps us determine the fit a lot faster. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, and and doing that unprompted. So right. just tell me what you want, you know? And then I yeah. ask the reverse. Tell me what you don't want. Like, what right. are you not looking for? So many times you're able to tease out things that really get you excited about a candidate or things that don't raise a red flag. Yeah. Because it's important the way kind of we frame it is it's important to us when we hire you that, you know, we understand what's important to you so we can put you in in a position that you're going to enjoy. And then conversely, we don't want to put you in a position where you're not going to enjoy it. Leverage the strengths, not the weaknesses. Unhappy employees are least less productive employees and they tend to leave, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Pretty straightforward. Um, and that, that doesn't matter on like if they're a high performer or not, like high performers need to be stimulated just as much as kind of mediocre performers. Yeah. So if you want to get the most out of a person, they got to be in a position where they're happy um, and they're doing things that they like to do. Yeah. Terrific. Well, Rich, we're just about out of time, but we always ask one last question of our CEO guests. And that's what kind of career and life advice would you give someone who maybe has their own eyes set in the corner office someday? That's a one piece of advice. <laughs> it can be a couple. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't go too fast. Hmm. And in every, every situation is a learning opportunity. So after every experience or situation or um, job, whatever have you, there's always something to be learned, whether good or bad, and put that away in your list of things that help define what is important to you and what is not important to you. Um, because then if you keep doing that, you'll eventually, you know, find your happy spot, whether it be career life or whatever. So always learn from everything that you do. Yeah. Great stuff. Rich Scanlon, CEO of Workspace. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. 
For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the Mighty Middle Market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.